cute. <laughs> that that was like my that was my big social event before this weekend was uh having a sleepover with my mom who I have not seen since like October and um I forced her to watch Mad Max. Don't know why I did that. Mistakes. I watched Mad Max for the first time two weeks ago. I've never seen that. Yeah. So here's the thing. I don't like um, action movies very much. Yeah. Like, I don't really care for them. I think, honestly, and this is what Mad Max made me realize, is all this time I've been kind of conflating action movies with superhero movies. Oh, yeah. Because... I know that there are action movies that are not superhero movies. You know, I've seen Fast and Furious and like I've seen, I don't know, what's another one? James Bond. You know, like I've seen those movies too. And I genuinely, I do actually enjoy like the Fast and Furious franchise way more than I enjoy superhero movies. So it's Mm -hmm. not like I didn't know (laughs) that there are action movies that are not superhero movies. But in my heart, Superhero movies are the action movies. Yeah. And I fucking hate superhero movies. Yeah. So when there's like a new action movie that everybody loves, it takes me a long time to like even entertain seeing it because I'm like, y'all said the same shit about the Avengers. And then I watched it and it was terrible. Is that the one where they all die at the end? Well, that's Avengers Endgame or whatever. But like the Avengers is like a A series. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not I'm not into exactly. That's the (laughs) yeah. No. Um, And yeah, people love superhero movies. And hey, I'm not trying to yuck anyone's yum. You go and have fun. But yuck. Ew. (laughs) I I really, really hate (laughs) them. So anyway, when Mad Max came out in like 2015 and won all those Academy Awards and was like, everyone was like, oh, my God, it's the best like. It's like this feminist action movie or whatever. I was just like, cool. Y'all enjoy then because I'm not interested in that. Um, And then it was on HBO Max and I was bored um, a few weeks ago. And I was like, well, it did win like six Academy Awards. Avenger? Um, A Mad Max? Yeah. Oh, who's in it? Is um, Charlize Theron in that? Yeah, Charlize Theron. She has like the buzz cut or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like Zoe Kravitz is in it. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Why do you keep putting her in stuff? She's okay, but what's kind of nice about what's kind of nice about Mad Max is that there's basic, there's almost no talking in this movie. Oh, well, then she would be great in that. (laughs) So that's (laughs) kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, Yeah. it was like fine, you know. Like she's still not amazing. Part of Big Little Lies. Yeah, she's still not amazing in it. To be honest, like she definitely is still not acting very well. But she's at least not really talking. So she's also not a major character. Yeah, she's like Charlize is definitely like the main character. Um, and then Max, (laughs) the Mad Max, who um, I always forget the guy who. I forget his name. He's so hot, though. What's his name, everybody? Oh, my God. There's a full dog fight hey, happening. Can you <laughs> shut up? Because we're trying to record. My God. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my, hey, literally shut up. <laughs> um, Tom Hardy is... Oh, he's so hot. He's and so he, like, hot. is, like, kind of queer. Like <laughs> Yeah, no, there's something... Has, like, he has had interviews where he was like, yeah, yeah, of course I've been with men. Yeah. He's... And also, like, did meth a lot in he... his 20s. He's one of my favorite celebrities because of how little of a shit he gives about, like, what you're supposed to say in yeah. these, like, PR trainings. Ugh. Like, I, he, I just really... He's so hot. With lips like that, <laughs> you better have put a dick in your mouth. Oh my, oh my god! He's <laughs> yeah. Watch. I'm like, I want to grow a dick so he can suck it. Um, that would be yeah. I'm gonna pop mine right back out. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna <laughs> turn your innie right back into an Audi <laughs> for him. So anyway, all of this is to say, I saw Mad Max and was riveted and was like, this is an amazing movie, and almost in a way where I was like, why has nobody been talking about this? I was like, oh, yeah, it came out six years ago, and that's all anyone could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually the one that is late to the game. I understand that. So then I just kind of forced my mom to watch Mad Max with me um, during our, like, precious limited time together while she, while we have not seen each other since October. I was like, let's take up two full hours of this time being quiet and watching this movie. But she liked it. So I guess that's what my week was like. Should we get into mistakes, keepsakes, hot takes? Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. My keepsake this week, um, 
I mean, kind of a combination of things. Definitely seeing my mom and like just kind of being able to like reconnect with her in real life. Um, in you know, we're very fortunate in that we have seen each other since the pandemic started. I know a lot of people just straight up haven't seen their families since before March 2020. Yeah. But even though we've been fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time together, we have not spent nearly as much time together as we normally do. Like we normally Mm -hmm. see each other like once a month or like once every other month. And so it's definitely been like um, really strange and unfamiliar to me to like go so many stretches with not seeing my mom at all. And then just to see her for like just a day on her way to go see her mom was just kind of like a, like it was very sweet, but also like sad that it's yeah. been so long. And then uh, it was only like a day. Um, but I'll see her when she comes back and then we'll see her when we go to Vermont in yeah. June. So it's fine. But like really the keepsake is that like my mom is fully vaccinated. My whole family is now fully vaccinated. And I'm like, being able to see her briefly this past week just made me so excited for when I'm going home next month. And mm. just like last summer, I got to see my family a lot, but like we, you know, a lot of it, we just maintained like outdoors hangs yeah. and like, it was just, you know, there's still like this lingering, like we shouldn't get too close to each other kind of. Yeah. And I'm just excited to just see my family. And like, I was able to like sleep in a, in my bed with my mom. It was very mm. nice. And I'm just so grateful that um, we are lucky enough right now in this country, despite all the bullshit that we have gone through, to have vaccines at all. And I'm annoyed as fuck that there are still people that are not getting the vaccine. But um, I'm very, very grateful that the people in my life have been getting them and are now fully vaccinated. And that was just a very sweet little first taste of what is hopefully a summer of a lot of um, sweet reunions. Yeah. So my keepsake is mostly like how exciting it is that the vaccination rollout has been like working. You yeah. Know? Cheers to that. Cheers to that. It felt this time last year, it felt like that would not be the case. For like years. For years. Truly. I mean, my, my mistake this week is just that I have been... Um, every time it gets really nice out, if I have a depressive episode during it, I just feel even worse because it's nice out and I should be enjoying the weather and like having a good time. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm like, you got to stop doing this to yourself because you have a brain that has depressive episodes, darling, and it's going to happen no matter what the weather is like. So don't make it even harder on yourself by like feeling guilty Mm -hmm. that it happens to be happening while there's, sunshine like that's out of your control and so my mistake I mean I honestly had a very it was like it wasn't even really a depressive episode I just was like kind of depressed for a couple of days last week um and was having a hard time getting out of bed or like doing basic errands you know classic depressive episode stuff yeah and it was during the first few like really nice days in New York and I just felt like a total piece of shit for not being able to just like go to the park with some friends or all the sh- all the things you're supposed to do when it's really nice out um and i just should know by now to like not make it worse by just feeling sad that it's also nice out while i'm sad mm-hmm. <laughs> stupid but- and it's going to happen more like it's going to happen more this summer because that's what my brain does you're already feeling bad enough. Don't make yourself feel worse. I'm mostly talking to myself. But, <laughs> but I know that that's like a thing. That no, it people is. Feel. I, I co-signed that message. Um, my hot take. Mm, my hot take is that um, pussies don't taste like nothing. <laughs> I tweeted something about pussy flavor. It was a joke. And um, just like, you know, it, it left the the bubble of just my own followers. And now there's all these people replying, being like, if your pussy tastes like something, you need to go to the doctor. Or, like pussies are supposed to taste like nothing or like whatever. And like this is just a very toxic thing, like not to get on a soapbox about it, because I'm mostly joking about this hot take. Like, who cares? But like the like douching and like vaginal odor products and all these things that have been sold to us. 
they only thrive because of this myth that pussies are supposed to like taste and smell like either nothing or like sweet and like yeah and it's just so annoying that in this day and age i can't even make a joke about pussy flavor without people coming out of the woodwork to try to like shame specifically in this case me but luckily i didn't give a fuck but anybody else reading those tweets make anybody feel bad that their pussy tastes or smells like something at all it's like of course it does dick's Taste like something. Yeah, all genitalia does. <laughs> if you, like, literally someone was like, pussies shouldn't taste like anything except maybe a little salty. And I was like, it's that's not a, not true. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not just saying that as a defensive pussy haver. I'm also a pussy eater. I've tasted enough of them to know that it's like, not a single one of them tasted like nothing. Okay? It's just a stupid line of thinking. And it's, it's just like... That's it. It's just stupid. Every pussy and every dick smells and tastes like something, okay? And it's when it starts to smell or taste foul that you need to go to the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) But if it just smells and tastes like something in general, it's fun. All right. Um, My mistake was just that I have been out all week and like since last week because I was away for two days and then like slept at our friend's house a few nights in a row so I've just been out so have not been in my apartment and have not like been here to like clean my room and like I need to go grocery shopping Mm. and I have like an article that is super late that I need to send in today like just like you know post content to only fans just like oh yeah same. being like an adult I haven't been an adult this week um so not a huge mistake just something I have to do um my keepsake was my friend Carrie coming to visit New York or like coming for a work trip but seeing me um meeting you meeting mm-hmm. my sister he's a very close like dear friend of mine but Lives in another city, so I don't re. I've only this was my third time seeing him, and one of the three was the first time we met in the two years we've been friends. So, like, we have not spent a considerable amount of time together, and it was very nice to just be together and like be very comfortable. And it, like, you know, just validating that it is a friendship. Um, so that was nice, yeah. Um, obviously, the beach too. Um, uh, and my hot take is quick, and I mean, not that hot, depending on who you ask, but since Pride Month is approaching, <laughs> it's just that um, if you don't like kink, don't go to Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are a youngin who is uncomfortable by the display of open sexuality at Pride, you should, I'm not going to yell at you because I'm 26 years old. And I should stop yelling at teenagers. (laughs) So I'm just going to kindly say that that is something you need to work on. Mm -hmm. And you need to unpack that on your own or with a therapist or maybe like with an older queer person in your life. And figure out why it makes you so uncomfortable to see other queers be openly sexual at Pride. Um, And if that still bothers you after you unpack it, then Pride is not for you. Don't go. Um, because pride is meant to be for us to let our freak flags fly. Yeah, it's also literally a celebration of sexuality. Yeah, it's able. Yeah, so it's like. <laughs> so if sexuality makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. Nothing, Just don't go. Nothing doesn't belong at Pride. That's the other part of my hot take, except corporations and cops. Everyone else belongs at Pride. I'm even going to say <gasps> straight people. Even straight people Agreed. get to go to Pride. And if that bothers you, suck my clit. Well, um, because there are straight people that are still queer in some way. Also, you don't have to be queer in any way to go to Pride. I think you can be straight as a fucking arrow and you're allowed there. But yeah. there's people who are like straight, but maybe have like gender questioning that they're having. Yeah. Or like they're straight in most practices in their life, but like they're like, you know, I know we used to call it like the cue was for questioning and yeah. I don't love that. I don't either. But in this, the spirit of it, I I love because yeah. it's like allowing people to explore and unpack the like bullshit compulsive heterosexuality that we've all been subjected to. Yeah. And even if you are heterosexual, there's still a lot of like unpacking to be done and yeah. like exploring 
And also they were just like at large dope straight people yeah, that like deserve to be like, you know, the, sure. I, the idea that like straight people are, are coming to like gawk. It's like, sure, there are some, but there are also like plenty of fucking queer people who go to pride to like gawk at other queer people yeah. and to like objectify them in a way that's unhealthy and upsetting. So it's like, fuck off. And if you're a fucking queer person who has a problem with straight people being around you, you need to grow the fuck up. There's... That is the extended part of my hot take. <laughs> I'm really old. I think that's so violent and unhealthy and I judgmental agree. and stupid. I have so many close straight friends, straight cis friends who are like very fucking cool and way cooler than a lot of fucking queer people I know. <laughs> and yeah, and that, that are freaks in their own right. Yeah. And that I feel way more welcome around and want to welcome into my life than like, I don't know, the average cis fag yeah. who is a fucking judgmental bitch. And it's always cis fags who, cis male fags who fucking are upset that straight people are around. And I'm like, that's just because you can't fuck them because you can't fuck their boyfriends <laughs> and because you can't be misogynistic to the women that are around openly. Yep. Like, oh, oh no, sorry that you like to do that in private <laughs> so yeah that's my hot take yep well yeah a lot of the like there's a there's a sexual entitlement there that like, oh yeah it's like straight people don't serve a purpose yep. you know at pride and it's like okay well not well, every- i mean and and so many gay men think that pride is just for them and that's a problem mm. i'm like girly this is not your parade and the rest of us are like guests like first so of pride all only exists because of trans women of color let's exa- get that fucking straight yeah also a lot of those, a lot of trans people are straight <laughs> yeah and it's just like just because they're in the lgbtq community they are still straight people yeah this entitlement fucking gay men since forever that pride is their event and everyone else is just like there mm-hmm. as like an outsider or like a less common denominator. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where the fuck do you get off? Yeah. <laughs> like, and it, it doesn't, even, it persists past pride and just into, well, I hate the word community, but the quote unquote community in general. Yeah. Where gay men think that like they're at the top of the hierarchy. And I'm like, you guys literally are actually at the bottom. <laughs> you offer nothing to any of us. Um, other than like misogyny and tackiness. Um, so maybe like mm, shut the fuck up mm. and like go sit in a corner. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I love my fags. I mean, same. We both have. But we have cool fags in our life. <laughs> Who would agree with everything that we just yeah, said? Yeah, we're literally yes queening us yeah. right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the so fags not- that I'm talking about are fags that do not want people like me and you at Pride. Yeah. And are like, ugh, or like at Reese. <laughs> yeah. And like roll their, I'm fat, I've caught like a few facts yesterday rolling their eyes at me and our friend when we were making out. And I was like, oh, you're just so pissed that there's a woman here making out with a guy right now. Yeah. Like, eat me. <laughs> eat me and enjoy the flavor yeah. of this pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that for sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, Pride, I'm glad we're not going to be here for Pride. I'm so glad. I have not been to a New York Pride since the first one that I went to in 2015, and I want to keep it that way for the rest of my life. I've, like, honestly not been paying attention to anything happening this week. Me neither. I know that I had something on my mind when I was thinking about recording this podcast earlier. I mean, this is not like huge news. And I kind of prefer when we bring up fuck ups that weren't like necessarily like national news, Mm -hmm. just kind of like a fuck up that we're alerting people to, because I think that's more interesting anyway, because we're inundated with like the news as it is. So the fuck up that I would like to bring attention to um, is there's like. Obviously, we've talked about this before, that Sesta Fosta is absolutely fucking the internet and it's bringing on a lot of neo-puritanical bullshit and it's wreaking havoc on sex workers' lives. And we've all been warning that that's going to fuck up other people's lives soon, too, and already has been. Um, And the most recent version of that is there was like this big controversy in the Twitch community that these girls were becoming like the top watched channels for just sitting in like kiddie pools. Yes. I, I, I 
saw this briefly. Yeah. And so everyone was like, that's fucked up. Like, if you're going to be a cam girl, you should be a cam girl on like a different, like on a camming website and not on this like video game website. But ultimately, Twitch is not specifically explicitly for video games. That is just what it's used for. That's like calling YouTube a beauty website. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like just because the majority of the videos are or at one point were makeup tutorials, YouTube is for anybody to upload content to as long as it meets the guidelines and twitch is the same way like there's so many people who have like just like they just walk around with like a gopro on Mm -hmm. twitch or people who like cook on twitch and nobody had a problem with those so so obviously that people just hated that women were capitalizing on being hot yeah um this has ultimately resulted in twitch i guess demonetizing um one or multiple of these women I don't know. I don't know the exact details. I I only read like some headlines about it. But basically the number one um, like hot tub hot hot tub streamer, as they call them, because some of them are in hot tubs, some of them are in kiddie pools, whatever. But they're calling them hot tub streamers. The number one um, channel uh, Twitch took away her ability to make money off of ads on Twitch. And um, and then following that unrelated technically, but definitely related in a grand scheme of things. eBay is no longer letting people sell um, adult video games. Um, And so there's just like this slow encroaching on people's freedom to um, engage online sexually in any way to the point where somebody not taking off any of their clothes and just sitting in a hot tub is considered like inappropriate. It's insane. Yes. Um, So to me, this is like an obvious, huge warning to everybody that if we don't start taking this more seriously and actually listening to the sex workers that have been warning us about this since 2018 and even sooner or earlier Mm -hmm. than that, but especially since SESTA-FOSTA was written into law, um, that this is coming for all of us, Mm -hmm. not just porn stars, not just full service sex workers on Backpage. It's coming for all of us. And those of you who uh, like promote your comedy shows in your bikini photos, you're next, babe. Like, I'm just so annoyed that it's taken all these people screaming at the top of their lungs and nobody listening because people are like, well... Maybe you shouldn't have sucked dick on camera then or whatever, you know, and there's somebody that I know who is lately has been getting um, what's it called censored on TikTok a lot for these like sexual education videos Mm -hmm. that she's been posting. Um, She's been posting a lot of like videos just about like teaching people about the vagina and stuff. And she's been all of them have been taken down and she's been very openly frustrated by this um, in a way that was like kind of clear to me the way that she was talking about it, that she was like unaware of the fact that this is happening to a much larger extent to like sex workers already. Yeah. And I'm not judging her for that or blaming her for not knowing. It just was like kind of, it was indicative to me of a larger problem that like as a culture, we like truly do not pay attention to these things until they happen to people who are not people we deem whores, you know? Yeah. And so the fuck up is both that this is happening and it's happening at like a larger extent and is like, it's censoring our use of the internet more and more and therefore of our daily lives because all of us exist on the internet in in a huge way it's just like it's annoying uh that it has taken it happening to people who are not the people who have been yeah i mean that's how it always happens so the fuck up is it's happening at all but also that um everyone continues to not give a fuck yeah that's my opinion of the fuck up of the week I would say that, yeah, it's definitely the fuck up of it. I agree with that. And Twitch, give this, give these girlies their ads back. My God, they're not doing anything wrong. They literally are just having tits. It's psychotic. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Kamala Harris and David Cicilline. Listener mistakes. Okay, this is from Matt. Hi, Nika and Anya. My mistake is from summer 2019. 
It was the night before my uncle's wedding, and there was a big dinner party for the two families to formally meet. I got absolutely shit-faced, been there, and I don't know how I came to this conclusion, but in that moment, but in that moment, I decided that I had to confront my older brother about why he was always such an asshole to me my whole life, right then and there. Predictably, we got into a pretty big fight, which ended with me blurting out, I'm trans. He was understandably taken aback, said that's nice, and gave me an awkward one-arm hug. Afterwards, I ran into the bathroom and puked my guts out, which resulted in clogging my uncle's toilet, which I had to shamefully point out to him. At the wedding reception the next day, I had exactly one drink because I was still super hungover and embarrassed. Apart from the puking, which was a definite fuck up, I don't regret coming out, but I wish I didn't say it just so I could catch him off guard. I also have no idea if anyone else overheard. Neither of us has brought up that night since, and I have not visited any family since that event. But also as a side note, my opinions on coming out has changed a lot as I've gotten further into transitioning, where I don't feel the need to be so explicit about it. And I just don't feel the need to be... Oh, and I just... Where I don't feel the need to be so explicit about it and can just be my queer self. If a person can't tell what's up by just looking at me, that's then that's on them. You don't have to include this part. No, it's fine. You don't have to include this part if you need to cut for time, LOL. <laughs> Love the pod, Matt. They, them. Hot. Thanks, Matt. They, them. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Vangel. Uh, for, thanks, writing, <laughs> for writing into the pod. I also love the consideration of cutting for time when you literally, this is the shortest mistake anyone has ever written to us. Yeah. So kind of all-star, uh, in my opinion. Um, so I guess what, the mistake is getting too drunk and coming out in that way? Yeah, I guess they were like doing it to like kind of gotcha yeah. in a fight. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that is shitty, but <laughs> Jeff, shitty, good um, on you for owning that. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. I mean, whatever. We've all gotten drunk and it's funny when like, you know, I guess our gender identities and like our sexualities and like the things that you quote unquote come out about, we give them so much power in our society. And that's not to say they're not important, powerful things, but like that, that is inherently somehow a bigger fuck up than like any other drunken blurted out thing. You know what I mean? No, I do. It's a, a shame that it continues to be a big enough deal. I I ultimately agree with Matt's stance that it's like, I'm just going to be queer and you can deal with it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. That was like a pretty chill mistake. Yeah. It was pretty tame. Yeah. I came out to my mom when I was 13 as bisexual by um, my mom was like on the computer, just kind of minding her business. <laughs> and I went, mom, I'm bisexual and I'm dating XYZ's person's name. <laughs> and I literally just ran into my room and hid under the covers. And then she just knocked on the door a couple minutes later and she's like, hi, uh. do you want to talk about it? And I was like, no. And she's like, okay. Oh, <laughs> so, so I also blurted it out in a way that, um, not necessarily in a fight or anything, but I was like, I could have made that either just a conversation or been casual about it. I didn't need to yell it and then run and hide. Yeah. I mean, listen, it happens. One of my <laughs> best friends came out to his parents in a high school as gay. And like, they always knew it was never like discussed, but like they definitely knew and he came out to them while they were very angry with him at the kitchen table about the fact that he was failing a bunch of classes. Yeah. And so he was like, well, if I just tell them I'm gay, then they can't be mad at me right now. <laughs> and they like called him on his bluff and was like, great. So like, thanks for telling us. But um, we're still like, you're not getting out of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. You're failing classes. Iconic, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Time for my deep dive. Yeah. Deep dive. Deep dive. When I was a kid, when I was in middle school, this is like honestly, it's such a like, it's kind of a complicated and kind of heavy deep dive. I'm going to try to keep it just like brief and as light as possible, but I think it's just kind of a more of a conversation prompt for us than it is getting too far into the details of this because it involves another person's life. But so when I was... come out to me as a murderer? Yeah. Great. When I was in middle school, my best friend um, had a very difficult home life 
and um, someone in her family had like repeatedly sexually assaulted her and she trusted me enough to tell me about it. And I, because I just like, I came from a background of like, you know, we're supposed to advocate for people that like need our help or Mm. whatever. To me, like it was more important to try to help fix this situation than it was to like keep her secret. Mm -hmm. And so I told the school counselor Mm. um, because also like I was genuinely afraid for her safety. Like I want to be clear that I wasn't just like trying to fuck up anything. But, um, you know, she asked me not to tell anyone. And then I told someone and that was a huge fuck up on my part. And also like back then I didn't necessarily have a cab in my brain. So like and I didn't really understand the severity of what could happen to someone if they're like taken out of their home or anything. Luckily, that never happened. The follow up was kind of fucked up, honestly. Like the fact that I did tell someone and all they did was kind of just like ask her and her parents if it were true and then trusted all of their answer to that mm-hmm. and didn't do any kind of in like further investigation is also kind of a fuck up, I think. But it was for the best because I should not have told anyone. So yeah. I'm glad it didn't go anywhere. But um, yeah, she got very mad at me, obviously, because she was like, obviously, I've known it's an option to tell someone and I didn't do that. So that was not your job to do for me. Um, and... I was like 12, so I don't think it was like crazy. It was very atonement of me. It was Uh very Saoirse Ronan. Like I thought I was doing the right thing and like helping a situation. Yeah, though in this case, you like didn't tell a blatant lie. Right. But you know, like even in atonement, she didn't really even realize she was telling a lie. Yeah. She like misunderstood the situation or whatever. Yeah, totally. But yeah, anyway, it was very much like I was like an uninformed kid that um, like thought that I was like helping somebody when really I was like just fully betraying their trust. Um, And ultimately she forgave me for it because like nothing ever came of it. But like a lot of terrible things could have happened. Like she could have gone into like foster care. Yeah. Um, And, you know, terrible things were happening anyway. Like that was kind of my thing is like, well, like I want you to get out of this terrible situation. But I didn't really even think about what the like what could have been the case if uh, my intention was actually followed through, which was to get her out of there. Like my brain never was like, then where would she go? (laughs) Um, And that's like a fucked up thing. But I also am like, it's kind of like haunted me my whole life as to like, what can somebody do about that in that situation? Like that has always bothered me um, to this day. About like, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have told anyone, but also like I loved her. She was my best friend and I was trying to protect her because this horrible thing was happening to her. And uh, there was like literally nothing I or anyone else could have done that would have put her in a better situation. There was only worse situations to be had. Yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated situation. You did like the quote-unquote right thing like you did everything you're told to do as a kid yes yeah um and you know now that there are like children in my life like I have friends kids and family members kids and like there's now just like kids in my life and kids are um you know I'm now one of the adults that might tell a kid what to do I, like, don't even know what to tell kids to do anymore in, like, situations where someone is... Because that's what you're told. When somebody is being hurt or you're being hurt, you tell an adult that you trust. Yeah, it's a very, you know, it's it's like the if you see something, say something mentality. Yeah. And it's like, um, like, like an atonement, like, that's what she thought she was doing in that movie. And then it, like, fucked up these people's lives. And in that book, I like I'm like, it's a movie more than it's a book when it's like a very famous book. Anyway, um. <laughs> I've never been able to get past the first few chapters of the book. I've seen that movie a hundred plus same, times. Exact same. But yeah, anyway, so that's like a, a, you know, it's not like a mistake that I hold any guilt for. Because honestly, even if something terrible did happen to her, I was a 12 year old that was doing the best that I knew how to do. So I'm not like, wow, Anya, you really fucked up. Yeah, I'm so glad that nothing did happen to her. And ultimately, um, that is my, like, 
I am grateful that I don't have to live with any like guilt that anything happened. But I like still live with the guilt that there was like nothing I could do. Yeah. And I just don't know. Yeah. It's just it's like my mistake technically, but it's also like the mis- the mistake of like the system and like options that we have to like protect Ooh. children. Well, this heavily relates. Ooh. I mean, not it's not about children. Right. But, but just about not having options options and a system that is corrupt well, then great take it away best mistake all right well this week we are talking about the famous feud between betty davis and joan crawford <laughs> yeah same exact situation uh, same exact no but very <laughs> yes I know, no, I know. <laughs> two aries icons um who graced the screen and theater, but mostly the screen from the 20s until, well, Joan Crawford, or Betty Davis kept acting until the 80s. Joan Crawford died in 77, but their, like, heyday was, like, the 20s to the early 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, it, I'm going to be talking about the feud that, like, was rekindled during the making of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane which they were both in and then the ensuing aftermath, but just some backstory. Um, They both were like huge icons in the twenties and thirties, Joan Crawford first and then Betty Davis. Um, And their feud like started in the 1930s. um, And it's like for people say, you know, historians say that it first started when Joan Crawford, like basically stole Betty Davis's part boyfriend she started dating him. Um, that created like the first rivalry. Um, and then it just like snowballed from there. And it um it got worse in the 40s when Joan Crawford, Betty Davis turned down uh the role for Mildred Pierce, and Joan Crawford snatched it up. She won an Academy Award for it. Um, so just like a lot of tension that built up between them and it snowballed. I just want you to know that every time you say Joan Crawford, even though I know who that is, Joan Rivers face comes into <laughs> my really mind. That's really funny. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, Joan Rivers won an Academy Award. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> um, so, um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane came out in the 1960s, I believe 1963. And at this point, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis had not been in, like, a serious role in 20-plus years. Um, Betty Davis had the last, like, huge role she had had was in um, uh, All About Eve in the late 1950s. She had been nominated for an Academy Award and didn't win it. Um, I believe she lost to Audrey Hepburn for My Fair Lady. Um, And... She she had won two Academy Awards prior to that and like till the day she died was like very hell bent on the idea of winning three. She would always say I'm an Aries and so I need to have the th- I need to be the first to have three Academy Awards because that, at that point no woman had yet. Um, And. Joan, she had like, Betty Davis had basically been labeled box office poison in the 30s and was kind of the first one to set the, plant the seeds for what Olivia de Havilland then did, which was to bring down the contract studio system, which was that all of the actresses and actors were contracted to specific studios and had to make a number of films with that studio, even mm. if they didn't like them. And Betty Davis was getting offered really shitty roles in movies that labeled her box office poison in the 30s. So she went to Europe, tried to make a movie, got sued by Warner Brothers, came back and was like, fuck this, I'm just ending my contract. And that like set in motion for the studio system to come tumbling down. So that's like context for going when I'm telling the story about the making of the movie um, because Jack Warner hated her. Um, no one really wanted to work with Joan Crawford at this point in the 60s. She had a reputation for being a diva and also had been labeled box office poison at one point and had like kind of lightly retired from acting and had married someone and was, you know, chilling in domestic life. Um, so she decided that she was sick of the roles that were being offered to her. She kept being offered roles of like the grandmother or like the, you know, the domestic 
help in the movie, just like roles for like very old women. And she was only in her 50s and like still hot. And that was just the case back then. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is so funny when you think about shows like Grace and Frankie now. And like that never would have happened back then. Totally. Um, and so she went out and she found a book called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And she sent it to uh, George Aldrich, who was a director. And she told him that she wanted to turn it into a screenplay. And she got him on board. He had directed her in a movie like in the 50s called Autumn Leaves. Um, and she knew that she wanted Betty Davis to be in the movie. And so she and which kind of like shocked everyone, especially Mm -hmm. George Aldrich, because he was like, you guys hate each other. Um, But she knew that this movie could only get made if she and Betty Davis were in it. She was like, there's no one else that can act as well as her. That's as respected as her. Um, I want her in the movie and I'm not making it without her. So she goes on a mission to convince Betty Davis, who at that point is acting uh, on Broadway in New York and is like also pretty unhappy with her career. She gets Betty Davis to come on to the movie. And it seems like everything's going to be kosher. They have a dinner with Hedda Hopper, who was like, you know, she had a hopper ran so that uh, what's his name? That TMZ piece of shit. Who, uh, something Perez. Oh, Perez Hilton. Perez Hilton. <laughs> had a hopper ran so Perez Hilton could fucking fly. She was a true scumbag journalist um, and ruined lots of people's lives and careers. And she was absolutely parched for drama between the two. So she has a dinner with them right when the movie starts filming and is trying to get drama out of them. And they both make a truce at this dinner and they're like, we're not going to fight with each other. We're not going to give the publicists what they want. We're going to be friends or friendly. Mm -hmm. We'll be peers. We'll respect each other. We're just like two women taking on Hollywood. Let's like do this together. And so it starts out pretty good. And immediately there is drama. Um, there are articles that are being published that have fake quotes from Joan Crawford or from Betty Davis talking about Joan Crawford. So then Joan Crawford goes and gives an interview where she talks shit about Betty, da- Betty Davis. Then Betty Davis goes and talks shit about Joan Crawford. Um, Betty Davis is being paid more than Joan Crawford, which it doesn't make any sense at all. Joan Crawford feels like her dressing room is smaller. Betty Davis is getting more screen time than Joan Crawford, even, jo- even though Joan Crawford was the one who like lobbied for the movie to be made um and basically like behind the scenes what's going on is that warner brothers is working with the tabloids to drum up drama to create press for the movie Mm -hmm. um instead of just like relying on like the crazy sheer talent of these two women and just like trusting that like because they had been megastars in the 20s and 30s and 40s the movie was going to be a hit decided that the only way the movie was going to be a hit was if there was drama between them. Like, literally, he referred to them as being two old broads who no one would want to, like, sleep with. Like, why would we want them in a movie? They they literally were, like, under the age of 60 at this point. Mm-hmm. So, this drums up, again, like, all of this drama. And they just, like, go for the jugular with each other. Like... Joan Crawford during the movie decides that she is going to weigh down her costume, her coat with rocks and her pockets and wears weights on her stomach underneath her costume so that during a scene when uh, Betty Davis has to be like dragging her, Betty Davis can't. And so she throws out her back. So then Betty Davis gets back at her by there's a scene in the movie where um, they're fighting each other. And Betty Davis, his character, is kicking Joan Crawford. So Betty Davis kicks her so hard that she, like, almost gives her a concussion. Like, just all of this crazy shit. So the movie comes out. They hate each other again. It's cemented. <laughs> They're like, "We fuck you and fuck you. And to make matters even worse, only Betty Davis is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. So naturally, Joan Crawford is livid. Like... Not only does Betty Davis get top bill, she also is nominated and Joan is not. And Joan is like, I literally put all of this in motion, my dude. Oh, my God. So Joan Crawford goes on a mission and is like, you know what? That's so lovely that you were nominated for an Academy Award. I'm going to make sure that you do not get it. 
So she goes on a mission and campaigns for every other single actress that's nominated to make sure that they all get enough votes so that bet so that Betty Davis doesn't get enough to win the award. And it works. And Anne Bancroft wins the award. And before Anne Bancroft wins the award, because obviously you don't find out until that night, Joan Crawford makes a phone call and personal trips to every single nominee for Best Actress and asks them if they would be willing to have her accept the award on their behalf. And they're all like, yeah, sick. Like, actually, yeah. Like, you know, one of them is like, you know, Anne Bancroft had a really um, busy career on Broadway in New York and was like, I really, I can't make the trip. I'm in a play. Um, Another actress is like, yeah, I like don't feel like buying a dress and like flying all the way to California. So sure. Um, uh, Another actress is like, I can't be there for this reason. So Joan Crawford is like sick. Not only is Betty Davis going to lose, I'm going to, I'm going to get to accept the Academy Award. Um, this is absolutely <laughs> diabolical. Truly psychotic. <laughs> so I, I um, let's see. I took a screenshot of like um a, a quote article like about the night that it happened. Um, let's see. I can't imagine hating someone so much. I mean, like, listen, being petty can be kind of fun, but this is like so much energy <laughs> to be this petty yeah okay so i don't i have the quote but it's fine because i mean i like remember what happened just from reading about it so much but so they all so like joan crawford and her crew and then betty davis and her crew are all backstage at the academy awards that night they're not sitting in the crowd and they both have like their different kind of camp set up joan crawford like or betty davis has everyone in a dressing room joan crawford has someone in like the main area backstage and they like both have like bars set up whatever and Betty Davis, like, knows already that Joan has been campaigning to make sure that she doesn't win. But she's, like, convinced that she's going to win. Because why wouldn't she? It's her first major movie since, like, 1950-something. So, like, you know, almost 12 years. And the movie was, like, a huge camp hit. Like, no one thought a horror movie was going to be it. But mm-hmm. it, like, was a huge box office success. Whether or not because it's a good movie or because it was the camp factor, that is, like, debated. But... She was like, I'm going to win this fucking award. I'm going to get my three Academy Awards. and I'm going to peace out. And that'll be sick. God. So. Don't count all your Academy Awards until they've hatched. hatched. (laughs) So that does not happen. Anne Bancroft wins the award. And Joan Crawford goes out on stage to accept it. And her fucking look takes her photos with the Academy Award as though it's her own. And walks backstage makes eye contact with Betty Davis. And Betty Davis said that the look in Joan Crawford's eyes was to the tune of, yes, you lost and I'm elated. And just like kept walking. And Betty Davis was like, let's get the fuck out of here. I want to go. So that all happens. And then to make matters worse, they go on to make a sequel or what's supposed to be a sequel to whatever happened to Baby Jane called Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Which it was like a similar, it was going to be, it was directed by George Aldrich. It was going to be a similar camp horror movie. They were going to like keep pumping these out. And um, so Betty Davis is like, yeah, I hate you, but like we're professionals. Let's just make the movie. And Joan Crawford pulls out of That's the- like us with this podcast. Yeah. Joan Crawford pulls out by like the, I think like the fifth day of filming and like says it's because she's sick. She's ill. And so Olivia de Havilland ends up making the movie and it comes out. Um, So they never work together. Joan Crawford never makes like another serious movie again. She dies pretty much a recluse in 1977. Um, And so they like go on to be interviewed about each other for years. And it's like kind of confusing how they actually felt about each other because so this is from a 1969 article and where Betty Davis was asked about Crawford. And she goes on to say, she's a professional, Davis told an interviewer. She was always, she's always on time. She knew her lines. We made whatever happened to Baby Jane in three weeks, Joan and I, because that is all the money anybody would give us. But I had great respect for her as a professional. And I wish I was half as beautiful. That I will say for her. And, but then goes on to say, now, if you want to meet 
if now if you want to meet me privately sometime, I'll tell you what I really think. Davis <laughs> added, eliciting laughs from the audience. So like, and I've like watched interviews where she kind of says the same thing, where she's like, oh, she was a great actress. She was a professional. I really respected her. But oh, I hated her. I couldn't stand her. Um, and like, you know, when Joan Crawford died, uh, somebody called Betty Davis and uh, said, Joan Crawford is dead. What do you think? And... Or do you have any comments? And the quote was, she said something along the lines of, um, actually, let me just pull it up because it's really shitty. <laughs> um, I would do anything to watch um, either of them be interviewed by Andy Cohen on Watch What uh, Happens Live <laughs> about each other. Because that's the only pop culture celebrity that I trust to get the real tea out of <laughs> Step aside any of these old-timey interviewers. We need Andy Cohen to probe them to get the real opinion. Agreed. So <laughs> Betty Betty Davis, in response to Joan Crawford's death, said, You should never say bad things about the dead. You should only say good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. That's fucking brutal. I know. I know. And, like, just, like, for oh years would God. make these comments about her. And there's, like... So obviously, right, it's like the mistake is that, you know, that relates to your deep dive in the sense that they both kind of like use the tools that they had to forge these careers for themselves. And unfortunately, that meant playing the game of being pitted against each other. Right. And as much as they wanted to, I th- I don't think either of them ever really wanted to be friends, but I think they did genuinely want like a working relationship as much as they wanted that the structure that they were you know the the system they were working in Hollywood did not allow for women to be friends at that point mm-hmm. like you had to be nemeses mm-hmm. um and so they were just caught up in a machine that was using them both and I don't think they even realized that they were being used I think right. they both thought that they were playing the game just right and it's like they both, were being chewed up and spit out and churned out and making these studios so much money for decades. Right. And, and, you know, instead of just, like, being gal pals and being girlies... (laughs) They could have been besties. I know. We're taken advantage of. Um, And one of my, like, favorite, like, theories is that... uh, So Joan Crawford was famously bisexual. Um, Like, she never confirmed it, but she, like, fucked everyone in Hollywood, including women. She was a bi-con. She was a bi-con. Um, and apparently like in the early thirties, she tried to make a pass on Betty Davis and like wanted to fuck her. And Betty Davis was like, I am straight as can be, but thank you. (laughs) No, ma'am. But then Betty Davis gossiped about it to people. Mm. So I think that really upset Joan Crawford. And I, you know, documentaries have said that like Joan Crawford really just wanted like the women in Hollywood to like her, but they all just treated her like she was a whore Mm. because she was like, she was, but like, good for her. <laughs> yeah. And she wasn't like a great actress, but she was gorgeous. So, like, that was, you know, she was a really hard worker who had a gorgeous face, and that is what made her a star. Whereas Betty Davis was not hot and had no sex appeal, but was an extremely talented actress. And so there was this idea that I think Joan Crawford always felt, probably felt inferior to Betty Davis. Right. And I think that Betty Davis just lacked a lot of empathy in understanding how to deal with that um and was extremely competitive about her work Mm. um maybe even probably had a little bit of the like well i had to work really hard to get here and you just have a pretty face exactly yeah yeah not that she wasn't also working really hard no totally mentality yeah which is funny because joan crawford (laughs) came from nothing and betty davis you know she didn't come from a lot of money but she came from like a nice middle class new england family and joan crawford like Came, like literally was on her own when she was 14 and like worked her way up yeah um and had like an iconic career and legacy that unfortunately was really marred by her daughter her adopted daughter with mommy dearest um but yeah that um you know the mistake is just the it even had a heart hopper too playing a role in it. Like the just the w- women and especially white women throughout history 
have never understood that if we just have each other's backs, <laughs> we can actually beat the system. And instead, we all try to forge these individualistic paths for ourselves yeah. where we think that if we win at the game of misogyny, then we come out on top. And really, we're only just victimizing and hurting ourselves more and more. And we're actually just pawns in a game run by men. Yeah, and it's all, like a game run by men, but also by like capitalisms, and like yeah. it's it's like it's something that continues to successfully happen, where the industry is able to see two women with strong personalities and be like, well, if we just direct these strong personalities at each other, yeah. money, baby, yeah. and like that's definitely I think a huge part of like that Nikki and Cardi feud oh absolutely I think um every time I mean Britney and Christina worked so hard to not be manipulated into that yeah it's like very sad that it still happens and you see it less now in like the in Hollywood and more in like the music industry yes I think um and it was interesting like uh Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon were in feud with the Ryan Murphy show that was about what I just talked mm-hmm. about. And Susan Sarandon played Betty Davis. Uh, Jessica Lange played Joan Crawford. Very good, campy little series. Um, but they both, like, did an interview together where they were like, yeah, like, can you, like, fucking imagine, like, like, we, they were both, like, were like, we could never imagine us being pitted against each other right now. Right. And... They were like, and so much of it had to do with the fact that both of these women and all these women were so frustrated that they had to fucking pick at crumbs for their careers because by the time they were 40, they were thrown away by the Mm -hmm. industry. And now you see all of these women who aren't just playing grandmothers or like the random witch in a movie. They have beautiful careers. And I mean, that's very recent. We've only seen that in the last 10 years, really. And it's still like slim pickings. Yeah. It's it's still mostly given to like pretty white women. Absolutely. um, Who are able to play like still sexually desirable older women. Um, And or like, you know, really like, you know, Meryl Streep is kind of the only person who's not the only person, but a very good example of one of the only people who has been given like the opportunity to just play interesting characters still and not just like, I don't know, like sometimes I know Grace and Frankie, if you actually watch it, is about much more than the fact that they both look amazing for their age. Yeah. But I think the reason it's marketable is because they both look amazing for their age. Yeah, definitely. And that's like annoying. Yeah. I wish that 70 plus year old people could look like 70 plus year old people and still be be cast, you know, or women specifically. Agreed. The men absolutely can look like a fucking shriveled up potato and be cast until their literal deathbed. But... (laughs) <laughs> and have a 20-year-old new wife that they just knocked up. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, a tale as old as time. Moral of the story. So moral of the story. Girlies, have, your, have each other's backs. Yeah. That, yeah, literally. And also... Capitalism is the root of literally <laughs> all evil. It's yes. truly just to make money that they did this to these people yes. and that they did it to each other. Yeah. Like they weren't completely, compl- like completely uh, innocent in this. No. I, yeah. I would say the third moral of the story <laughs> is that women absolutely can also be, um, women often are complicit in their own demise when it comes to being trapped in misogyny. Yeah. And I think often we know it and we just, continue doing it because we think it's more beneficial right well because we still want i mean you know you still want to have a nice life and succeed and even maybe have a legacy and even if even if you're able to recognize the ways that that's like kind of all bullshit Mm -hmm. it's like hard to unlearn it to the point of like totally opting out completely totally and that's i think something that especially right now in our generation like our generation is probably one of Basically, since like the 70s, we're like the first generation since then to like really be like, what is the point of all of this? Like of the hustle and of the like the like making something of yourself, quote unquote, and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Like even though we're able to examine it in a much more critical way, the same people who are making those criticisms are still like throwing themselves really hard at their career, ourselves included. Yeah. Um, And it's like. You can see what's you can see the beast, but you still want to tame it. Yeah. 
You're like, I'm the one that can slay this dragon. Yeah. And it'll be fine once I do it. Yep. That's psychotic. Yeah, it is. But maybe that's how this podcast is going to blow up. We got to get into a feud. No. <laughs> I'm so fucking really not. No, like a feud that we're in on. It's a, okay, it's a yeah. secret. Yeah, I mean, it's a manufactured short. It's though. a manufactured feud. That's the other thing. I think there's a lot of feuds have been like completely manufactured, even including the people in the feud. Yeah. Like I, it would... It would be dope if, like, retrospectively, we found out that Joan and Betty I know I were wish. in on it, but it yeah, yeah, is think, not the case. Yeah, no, sadly. Yeah. Ugh, whatever. Well, <laughs> is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's the story. Damn shame. Damn shame. Go watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Great <clears throat> movie. Created, in my opinion, the category of camp. Yeah. You know what? I think society will heal <laughs> when Olivia Rodrigo and Sabrina Carpenter release a song together. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we could have a feud with a different podcast, but it's a podcast with guys. All right. So it's not misogyny that we're participating in. I mean, if you. Yeah, I I already know the podcast that we could just get to really hate us, but I think that would just ruin our lives. Oh, I don't want that uh, podcast to hate us. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they will at some oh point. Oh, God. But I'm not trying to bait it. Yeah, no, leave me alone. If anyone has any guesses. <laughs> uh, I do not need that fan base uh, no. coming after us. But it would, it would be funny. It would be an effective marketing tool, marketing tool yeah, you know for what? sure. Why not? <laughs> Come for us. Come for us. But only if you can guess which podcast it is and you happen to be one of the hosts of it. Otherwise... Don't come. Well, no, come for us. Anyone, anyone feel free to come for us. Come for us. um, Come with us. Write us at bestmistakespod at gmail.com. Follow us at bestmistakes on Instagram and Twitter. Bestmistakespod. Bestmistakespod. Follow me at Neat Kalamato. Follow Anya. Subscribe to our OnlyFans. (laughs) I realize I keep telling you guys subscribe to my OnlyFans, but I didn't tell any of you if you guys even feel like it but that i changed my name so it's now at zara star which it's like on my instagram but i never made that like an official statement love that sorry <laughs> amazing bye bye